Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. How you doing, Henry? I am fine, Ben. That's good, Henry. I feel good. That's... This is my new genuine voice. That's great, Henry. <laughs> Hi, my name is Henry Zabrowski. Reprogrammed Henry Zabrowski. Hi, I'm ready for the masses, Henry Zabrowski. That's great. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. That's Marcus Parks. I'm Ben Kissel. I have big news for you, Marcus. Oh, yeah? Henry Zabrowski's changed. He's going to be a star. <laughs> Henry Zabrowski, sponsored by Zantac. Have you been having pizza for dinner? I have. Have you been having Italian sausage for breakfast? Yes. Enjoy yourself a Zantac so you can enjoy your afternoon meeting with the people that you hate. I thought I was going to be fine. I thought I was healthy and that trustworthy until that trustworthy voice came over and told me I have stomach problems. You do. That's- wow. <laughs> it's the stomach problems that are probably your stomach. It's not the food that you're eating or the coffee that you're drinking or the beer that you drink in order to go to sleep at night or the weed that you smoke to go to sleep mm-hmm. at night or all the different things you do to push down the, the idea in your head of grabbing a scissor out of the office desk going down to your boss and just right. stabbing him in his eyes. Hmm. <laughs> you don't even think about that. <laughs> Try Zantac. All right, someone get in here and re-reprogram Henry Zabrowski. He's off the rails. Oh, I'm back. People think I'm back. I'm sorry. I've just been, you know, been a shill. Yeah. For a long time out here, but it's been cool. I've learned a lot on the other side. That's what you people don't understand is that sometimes you got to be a shill, right. and you learn something from the other side. You know what I've learned is what? You know what the thing about shills? What they get paid? They get great espresso machines. <laughs> right, espresso <laughs> machines. They pay you in, in uh, human gasoline. Yeah, that's great. Uh, of course, uh, Charles Manson episode three. Um, let's get into it, Marcus. Yeah, our one hundred and fiftieth episode, by the way, oh, and not only. Not only that, but it is today. Today is Charles Manson's 80th birthday. And now, so the Happy Birthday song is copyright. Yes. Right? So mm-hmm. I can't sing the Happy Birthday song. No. We can right, sing so like I a- can't go like, Happy Birthday you- <laughs> to... I can't do that, no, right? Because no. I'll be... So we should sing a different sort of of birthday song to Charles Manson. And I think it's going to go a little bit like this. Hey, happy birthday, Mr. Manson. How you doing? Good, I'm good. in here. Happy birthday, <laughs> Mr. Manson. 
That's it. That's all I, I love that song. And then Charlie even got a little cameo in there. What was that? I'm stuck in here, he said? I'm stuck in here. Yeah. I'm stuck yeah. in there. I'm just on a tarantula's trip, man. I'm living a spider's life. Don't worry about me, buddy. I'm sitting in my web enjoying my... I'm enjoying my cage. He's got I mean, a little, it's amazing. He's like a little parakeet. 80 this, years old, though. Can you believe it? 80. That's a difficult... Uh, he's past the life expectancy by four years, the average life expectancy. There's rumors that he's in the hospital right now. I read yeah, about, living the dream, getting a cake <laughs> delivered to him. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's supposed to be sick right now. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to send good vibes out to Charles Manson. I hope he's feeling better. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he gets this podcast sent to him. Oh, he I know will. that we're we're technically fighting for you, Charlie. As technically, life, you know. Um, today's podcast is we've been kind of the the theme that we've hit over the last couple of Manson episodes is that the the idea of the Manson crimes is a lot more complicated than Bugliosi wants you to think it is. Bugliosi. We've been reading Manson his own words. Um, that's Manson's side of the story, even though that's also pretty. Uh, what's the term for that? Uh, um, fucked up, unreliable. As well. <laughs> yeah, somewhere else. Unreliable narrator. Yes. Yes, and um, even after the book was uh, put out, Charles Manson came out and was like, "I didn't, say, I didn't ever say that I was raped. I didn't say that I was raped. I, I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I had a terrible childhood." And uh, the interviewer's like, "What is? Uh, why, why did you have a terrible childhood?" He's like, "Child don't know what terrible is. He, <laughs> he don't, he don't know what terrible That's is." Right. And she was like, "But were you raped?" He's like. Nah, it was it was terrible. There's a moment it in this new, there's a documentary that came out like in 19 I guess 1997 that was called In the Mind of Manson and basically he sort of admits he's like yeah I'm the king of evil if I get out of here I'm gonna kill everybody around me you know it's not like I'm in here and it takes two people to help me go to the bathroom <laughs> that's not what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> there is a difference between Manson's account of the events that happened and Bugliosi's accounts of what happened and today we're gonna try and find the middle ground. We're going to try to sneak around the truth, which is a little speech that Manson yeah. gave that we're going to play for you right now. Look at the madness that goes on. You can't prove anything. You can't prove anything. There's nothing to prove. Every man judges himself. He knows what he is. You know what you are as I know what I am. We all know what we are. Nobody can stand in judgment. They can play like they're standing in judgment. They can play like they stand in judgment and take you off and control the masses with your human body. And they can lock you up in penitentiaries and cages and put you on crosses as they did in the past. But it doesn't amount to anything. What they're doing is they're only persecuting a reflection of themselves. They're persecuting what they can't stand to look at in themselves. The truth. Everything is sneaky up around Sneakyville. (laughs) Everything we have to do is is to get to the truth has to be sneaky. It seems a shame to sneak to get to the truth, to make the truth such an evil, dirty, old, nasty thing. We are sneaking in the county jail, looking under the door. That's it. That's it, man. I just feel like you could play that music in the background of uh, any speech, and it would sound that intense. You could hear a hippo farting with that music in the background, and you'd be like, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard. Yes, so we're going to be trying to balance the official storyline of the Manson murders with Manson's version of the story, because there is a... There is a true story in between the two. Yes, there is. Yes, the 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 something about this, you know, the the helter skelter thing doesn't add up. Uh, it's just a little too far fetched. It's a little too smart for Charlie. Uh, Charlie's not a, a big thing too. Is that they gave him a lot of credit. So much credit. In fact, yeah. Bugliosi said that like one time Manson stared at me and my watch stopped. 
And it's, come on. Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah. And Manson. You can barely write a folk song. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, Manson. The only way I can stop a watch is if I step on it. Like, <laughs> good. And Manson himself, he admits he's like I'm. He's like I'm a two-bit thief. I'm a, I, he's like I'm a thief that couldn't steal without being caught. If, I mean, so theoretically, Bugliosi is saying that Manson has the power of what is it, telekinesis? Telekinesis. And he used it to stop his watch. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Out of all the things that you could do with this super <laughs> Professor X, uh, you know, ability, he yeah. just. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop his watch. Mind. I would go to the Publix and I'd find the girl behind the counter and I would lift her up above the counter and her launch her pussy first into <laughs> my mouth. Mm, yes. So where we left Charlie Manson last, he had just left Gary Hinman's house. Gary Hinman was the nice guy mescaline dealer that got mixed up with the Manson family and ended up murdered. Is that on his tombstone, nice guy mescaline dealer? Because <laughs> I would love to meet him. <laughs> so after the Hinman murder, uh, Charlie left the ranch. Right. He said, fuck it, I'm out of here. I'm going to go Which wander so around. Because all he talks about is like, you got to be there. You got to be there for the group. You guys, It's really important. They look to me. I'm, I'm the, I'm the folk of the circle. I make sure people get what they want and get the right. fruits that they want. But um, I think I see a, a hint of bush hair behind that tree over there. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta well, there was a murder. I, I gotta go. I gotta get out of here. As it. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, <laughs> yeah. so did Manson go outside in the desert. So Manson, he decides he's gonna try to recapture some of the spirit of a couple of years before when he was just wandering around, uh, wandering around California. And he really does. I mean, he's still got it. He picks up 17-year-old Stephanie Schram from right. San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just spent the next few days uh, doing acid That's and a, fucking under the he stars. Was, he went out uh, looking, you were saying, for loose women in particular. Loose women, yeah. I want to know, what what was his signs? <laughs> like, he was like, not loose, not loose, not loose. Loose. In Definitely loose. It's if a girl is leaning against a telephone booth. Loose? <laughs> That's loose? Every woman that he describes, basically every woman that he met that became a part of the Manson family all were like, I just saw her there, like, leaning on a lamppost, and I went over and smiled at her, and I said, hey, you want to see a rainbow all trapped inside your sunglasses? And she was yeah. like, yeah, Charlie, that sounds like a hip trip. And so he, but the way he got Stephanie Schramm is that he walked right up to her, and he's just like, so you here with the old man? She's like, yeah, I'm here with my old man. It's kind of a rube. He's like, ha why don't you drop out of that? Come with me on my trip, you dick. We'll be driving around, you know? Smell my armpit hairs. If you want, I She's do like, dig. Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? What was every relationship from nineteen, like nineteen sixty 1960 to nineteen seventy one? Could you just you could just take somebody from somebody? Yeah, right. Yeah, That's it was what you would do totally accepted. I mean, it depends. That's why you had to be real cool if you had a girl. Otherwise, a Manson type guy is going to come creeping up on you. You always got to be uh, hip to the new beats, as they would but say. How- how lame do you have to be for her to look over and see this guy like skulking around a bush going like, <laughs> You have to be her father. That's it. <laughs> well, the guy who wrote Manson in his own words, this guy, uh, Newell Why Emmons. Why was he called Manson in his own words if it wasn't written by Manson? Because he, it says Manson in his own words as told to okay. Newell Emmons. Sure. Uh, so Newell, in the, uh, the afterword to the book, he talks about one of the interviews that he did with Manson, uh, and he brought a, uh, a female reporter along with him, and he said the difference between Manson when he was by himself 
with mm-hmm. Manson, and when this woman was in the room, uh, it, he said it was night and day. He his uh, language sweetened up a lot. His body language completely changed, and he said that he what he watched Charlie charm this woman. Uh, I mean, right. just a regular reporter, you know, and a, a smart woman. He said that he watched her relax. She started to laugh at his jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? That's what I realized when I was watching in the in Manson's mind, the mind of Manson that that documentary. I was like, he's just trying to joke with you, lady. Most of Charles Manson's stuff is him just trying to be funny. Yeah, when you listen to other yeah. gurus talk, like when you and I was going through, I watched this documentary called The Source, and you listen to all these gurus talk about all this ludicrous stuff about flying in the air and like you know about how like you know it's a hip trip, it's a sex trip, baby, and they're all like literally going like ha ha ha, they're laughing, it's joking around. Yeah, Alan Watts the the same thing. I mean, he's his jokes are are atrocious, uh, and yeah. he's not necessarily a cult leader, but he talks in that same like when they talk about this really heady stuff. Off. They're making jokes the entire time, and, right. and Manson was no different. So basically, it's like Manson. It's like me if I'm in a room without pizza, <laughs> and then me when I'm in a room with pizza. Because you can't not be smiling when you're holding a piece of pizza because you know you're about to take a bite of it, which is kind of exciting. <laughs> That's very true. Right. But uh, so, but that, how that ended, how that uh, encounter ended, uh, is that he said that Manson walked around her and he put his hands on her shoulder, and then he suddenly switched. And he grabbed a cord off of the table and he put it to her no, throat. No, no, Charlie, no, Charlie, yeah, no, no, Charlie, Charlie. He no. put it to her throat and he said, "What do you think, Newell? Should I, should I kill the bitch?" And then he started laughing and put it down. He's like, "Ah, I'm just messing with you." I mean, well, you that's know, just like these are people who are jokers. That's yeah, a funny <laughs> that's what the amazing, uh, the amazing Jonathan, the great uh, magician comedian. <laughs> that's one of his bits. It's classic, <laughs> classic comedy. So Charlie and Stephanie, after driving around and fucking uh, through uh, Southern California for a little while, they came back to Spawn Ranch on the morning of August 8th, 1969, and mm-hmm. people were on edge. And before August 8th was over, five more people were going to be dead. Is it the morning now, if you never fall asleep? <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> technically okay, the morning. It's still the morning. Yeah, yeah. He showed up literally doing the thing. It's like, I was expecting to see all my normal, like, smiling, happy faces to see me. But then everyone was all sad and frowning around. And I was like, oh, that's right. We killed a guy last night. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. he needs a reminder. He needs an eye calendar. Right. Just well, start, sort and remember what you did. Just mm. put a little note being like, do you remember that we killed that guy before you go on a bush hunt? Yeah, usually, <laughs> usually you, you dig through your pockets after a hard night of drinking, you find a taxi receipt, and you're like, oh, five, you know, 50 bucks from Midtown. No, what a waste. He finds an ear. Yeah. But you know, know, this is like, also oh, where right. we're going to start seeing we're going to start seeing Manson's point of view completely differentiating from the official story, yeah. which is now. So he shows up basically being like, hey, guys, this is my new chick, Stephanie. Uh, she's really rad. We did acid and bald all night last night. And mm-hmm. they're all like, we finally figured out how to get Bobby. Basically, they, he shows up and they're like, Bobby's out of jail. Bobby is in jail. Yeah, Bobby. Kill, Bobby was the guy that killed Gary Hinman. He he was found sleeping in uh, Gary Hinman. Fiat. Fiat, right. because they found him dead, and then they were like, he has two, where are his cars? His driveway was empty. They found it, like, literally a couple of miles away because they're morons. Again, mm-hmm. we're looking, we're dealing with a group of total idiots. Yeah, and the Bobby murder Blue, weapon was in the tire well. And like, I want to say yes. this, a bit off subject, my opa was the head of the union of Fiat. So. <laughs> that is true. He was, he was the head of the union. He met, he Wait, met, did they also make, did they make train cars? No, they didn't, no, it wasn't a, well? no, it wasn't a train. As a matter of fact, he purposely made it so you I'm couldn't finish 
series of people. It was a small, relatively small he car. He was just following orders, I know. No, he was giving certain orders to say, he said, stop it. My, my grandfather was a good man who said, stop it a lot. Leave him alone. <laughs> So anyway, um, so he sh- so basically the Manson side of the story is that he showed up. They're saying Bobby's in jail, and we think we figured out how to uh, get Bobby out of jail. Yeah. Right. So, so they- this, I mean, really, what I think of is a frog, Stephanie. In this situation, mm-hmm. when you boil it in water, it doesn't know it's dying. But they just threw her right in. Yeah. <laughs> she was just like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? I mean, this yeah. woman must have been terrified. Yeah, she got the well. Uh, Manson no, kept her out of it. it. She had, she really so she had just no got idea. Out. She had no idea what was going on, right? Because she comes and he immediately shuttles her off into one of the outlaw cabins, because as she's they like, call them. So Charlie, yeah. which one of these buildings are we gonna live in? And yeah. he was like, I hate to tell her how like I'm gonna fuck her tonight and then pass her to like nine other dudes. But at that moment in time, I really loved her. Yeah. So I said, <laughs> I'm gonna fuck you in all these shacks. He literally said, it. He's yeah. like, I'm right. gonna fuck you in every one of these shacks and then we'll pick our favorite she's like ah oh, charlie that's romantic that's actually can i have nice. some more acid that would be a, a, a henry if you ever get into the real estate game that's great fuck it every house that i show you whichever one you like the best you get to have yeah exactly yeah, so she was put off on another thing but the whole time he was like she loved our rap she loved what right. we were laying down mm-hmm. as soon as she saw what was up because nothing more than a, a, a really beautiful 17 year old girl loves than to see a bunch of just like absolutely oh filth color color covered mongrels <laughs> <laughs> living all over each other in a shack city. So, cor- so according mm-hmm. to Manson, you know, the girls have been talking amongst themselves as to how to best help Bobby. And so what they came up with, this is the best idea they could come up with. They were right. so excited. To so excited about it. Of course, they've been on the Helter Skelter trip for a little while now. They'd been on, well, the race war trip, race war, a.k.a. Charlie's plan to get out to the desert. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were going to dig a hole in the desert and they were going to stay there until the race war was over, then come out and help black people lead the world. But the problem was is that but so that's the official line and the right. unofficial line to remember was that Manson said that he offhandedly talked about Helter Skelter just to dig himself out of a hole. Yeah, right. Within the group. I mean, that the biggest flaw in the entire plan is the idea that they're going to come out of the hole as disgusting looking white people like the uh, like creatures from the descent <laughs> yeah uh, and, and the then bo- black people are gonna be like oh you're all right white person no it uh, wasn't that they expected to come out uh, as far as you know as, according to bugliosi their plan was to come out and black people go oh thank god we have no idea what we've been doing oh, we, we have no idea white people we thought we killed all of them all. Yeah. we regretted it oh man <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was the official slogan right uh so but what they're uh, what their plan to get Gary out of prison was, or not Gary, to get Bobby out of prison was, is that they were going to commit uh, a whole other series of murders that were similar to the Henman murders, writing things on the wall in blood like they had written Political Piggy right. on the wall in blood at, uh, at Gary Henman's house. That was the best they could come up yeah. with. So literally Manson felt like, so Sandra came up to him and said, like, Charlie's exactly what you wanted. It's Helter Skelter, like you said. And he's like, oh, bitch. That's not what I wanted cash. I wanted money. You got to God. What do I got you? Boom. Better go play the tambourine and get my dick sucked. I gotta clear my head. Yeah. And he tried to leave it. When they started telling him all this shit, he tried to he's like, 
fuck that. I'm out. I'm out. He's like, I've been to jail too many times. You girls are going to get me right back into jail. Right. I don't like to, I don't like jail. I don't want to go back to jail, so I'm getting out of here. But Squeaky, she turned, once again, turned his words around on him, uh, where he was caught in a trap. He said, no, you can't go. Love is one. We are one. And that's what Squeaky he said, was too, good, is that he man. looked around the circle, and he was just like, and at that moment in time, I, I was like, man, I need to get the fuck out of here. I'm going to get a dune buggy and I'm going to hit the... But then I looked around and I remember each one of them, first time we balled, first mm-hmm. time we fought, first time I licked droplets of acid out of one of their belly buttons. Right, right. First time I spent an hour pulling body chickers out of one of their buttons. <laughs> I remember each time with them. And he literally was just like, I can't leave them now. I got to I got to see this through. Gotta, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to ride this fucking train. But, it's like the Goonies, the man, you know. Normal profiling and people who've done drugs where it's like you can see if you've done drugs together in a group of people for a long period of time, you do begin to develop sort of a group think. Yeah. And and you do and the the, the group can move ahead of you. Well, little do we, very underreported Del Close, the founder of Improv, was actually part of the troupe. And uh, this is where it all began. They were just yes-anding themselves into oblivion. So it's noon on August 8th. We're 12 hours away from the Sharon Tate murders, and they haven't even decided who they're going to kill, who's going to carry out the murders. They haven't decided anything yet. There's a rabbit running around with a fucking piping hot cup of tea being like, there's so many decisions, so little time. I mean, I can't believe <laughs> yeah, they were able to handle the stress. Stephanie's walking around just being like, where's the coffee maker? Not now, Not Stephanie. Coffee. <laughs> and so Charlie, he said, I'll stay, but what you do is on your heads. Not in my, not on mine. It's all on your head. Yeah, Charlie, you're going to get off scot-free. Yeah. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, and they said, you know, and they all said, we understand, Charlie, there were hugs, there were smiles, there were kisses. Oh. So and Charlie, so the way he also, and the way he diffused this whole scenario, he said, he basically said that uh, Mar- Mary and Sandy are going to take a couple of those stolen credit cards out, and they're going to buy everybody a bunch of gifts. Yeah. Right? Everybody likes <laughs> gifts, right? What do you want? What do you, text, what do you want? He's like, I want a bow and arrow. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, whatever, whatever you need. Just get a bunch of teddy bears and some cotton candy, and we'll, we'll have a good night, all right? All right, let's uh, break it up, break it up. Yeah. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. You're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep to get your free upgrade go to barkbox.com slash l-e-f-t my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's jackie zabrowski she shops all year thinking about her family 
and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do, and the memories keep cycling, and I get emotional, and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy, and that is not sad. That is celebratory, so you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at. See if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So Charlie, he goes out in search of Tex, and he finds Tex Watson in the middle of an acid trip, sitting on an old couch, slapping his legs in time to music that only Tex heard. Yep. Yeah. Love that song. And, you know, we talked uh, last week about the Belladonna, and Charlie had talked to uh, the person who was actually making the tea, and it only taken a small dose. And she said that weeks later, she was still feeling it. She right. said that she was having blackouts. <laughs> Jesus That Christ. she was still... And Tex, he right. had picked up the baked potato and fucking eaten it like, or he had picked up the belladonna and eaten it like a baked potato. And now he's a rock star in his own mind. Yeah. So maybe he did it right. <laughs> it's about confidence. Right. Yeah, yeah. So by the time Charlie found him, Tex was, he had already heard about the murder idea and he thought it was great. Uh, so Charlie told him, he says, Tex, you remember that black? Talking, talking about Crow, he's like, you remember that black and what I told you when I came home after killing him? That life I took for you was your life. Well, we Bobby is my brother. He is your brother. Right. And to save our brother, I'm asking you for the life you owe me. And, and then Tex was just like, that's a lot of math, First of man. all, I don't know why this lamp is talking to me. But second <laughs> of all, I'm down to do whatever you need, Mr. Lamp. Gotcha. <laughs> if a lamp does start talking to you, follow whatever it says. Yeah, and then Tex, he just sit back and said, I can handle it, Charlie. What do you got planned? That, that, I don't have any plans. Is that, <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah. girl's thing. 
just so you know that. It's the girl. The girl. So, again, Manson hits us several times in his autobiography. Yeah. I didn't, I'm not planning it. <laughs> Girls are planning. They are planning it. They will do a thing. I don't know what it is. They, but I do know that they can't do it by themselves. Whatever they decide, they're going to need you, Tex. You're my go-to guy. <laughs> like, Tex is literally like hanging from his feet from a chandelier. Yeah. He's going like, I'm at the gym. Hey, Charlie, look, I'm at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> so that night, uh, it's um, you know about eight, ten o'clock. Still no plans. You know, still like they're you know, right he now. It's describes still... his meal too, and he's oh. like, they all had a nice oh meal God. that Brenda cooked, and he's like, nah, you know. Brenda can just do some lip-smacking stuff with some dumpster vegetables. <laughs> I can't even believe the amount of rocks that she can fit in that rock soup. We had a glorious time just balling, smoking, living in each other's dreams. Yeah. So, I mean, there was, there, it was one finger prick away from me like, go feed grandpa. <laughs> I mean, it was like so disgusting the way they described that dumpster meal. So <laughs> call came in the middle of dinner. Uh, and turns out that going around and going on a shopping spree with stolen credit cards ain't a good mm. idea. And no, because then, because Charlie literally said he forgot that the credit cards were stolen. Yeah, he so oh, he stupid. thought he got approved. <laughs> he, got, he got approved by the bank. He just he, he like legitimately. There are several times when he talks about this stuff, and it's like he just legitimately forgets that they just killed somebody. It's like he's always just right. trying to make it okay because he is. He's constantly validating his existence and saying, like, no, this is good. This is a this is a family we've built. This is the family I've always wanted that I've built. No, I'm a I'm a criminal mastermind. All of this is gonna go to plan because it's it's good now, because I'm on the right path. And that's exactly what he told the Chase Bank officer when he went and requested the Chase Bank card. There's approved. That's and perfect. It's like, first of all, sir, I'm glad that you came over here. Where we want to help you. We're really happy to have brand new Chase customers mm, at always. any given point. But if you could please put on some shoes, and if you could stop trying to finger bang the receptionist, that'd be really great. <laughs> Pre-approved. So these girls get arrested, and for some reason, according to Charlie, uh, for some reason, after all of the rejection, after everything that has happened to him, for some reason, this is the last straw for society. Society has taken away his right. women. He said, what the fuck is it, happening here? One by one, this fucked up society is stripping my loves from me. I'll show them. They made animals out of us. Let's unleash those animals. I'll give them so much fucking fear that people will be afraid to come out of their houses. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, you it know. It did, too. It's I mean, his, so. I will have my revenge. Yeah. I will have my revenge. Revenge. <laughs> so he goes out looking for Sadie and Tex. It's 10 o'clock, two hours away from the murders. Still no plan at all. Uh, he ran into his new girl, Stephanie, on the way, who has no idea what's going on. Right. He said that he walked her to her trailer and, quote, gave her a couple of kisses and a pinch on the tit. And went back out for tax. <laughs> you know, that's all it takes to satisfy a new woman that was made adhered to you by acid. Yeah. <laughs> a pinch on the tip. Huh? Couple oh. of kisses and a pinch on the tip. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well. So on his way, he sees Big Patty lying on the ground. Uh, she's like always. <laughs> yeah. She's trying to shake an acid trip from earlier that day. So Charlie kicks her. In, he kicks her, and he says, get up. You're going for a ride with Tex and Sadie. Uh, and so he so finds... I'm only medium rare. <laughs> yeah, she's just... the goddamn hamburger patty jokes, Patty. And will you just please do what I say? <laughs> 
some sort of blubbery meat. Yeah. So that that's terrible for that poor girl, though. She took acid in the morning, and then she had to go. She was uh, she was dealing with the acid hangover in the back yeah. of this car, just being all big and sad. And- this was one of the most Not active good. groups on acid I've ever seen. Oh, no. So they did on everything on acid. Right. Yeah. I mean, usually you can't do that. I mean, you, you stay in a confined space for a confined amount of time, and when you get out, you never want to go back. They never stopped. It's, yeah. You know what the thing is? Is that it just proves still... You can't do anything on acid. <laughs> right. You can't, I mean, yeah, you can't get away with it. Yeah. If they had just moved to the desert, like he'd been talking about for six months, instead of just building dune buggies for no reason, then maybe none of this would have happened. Dune buggies were pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So, uh, so he finds Tex just wandering around by himself. Uh, tells him it's time. He said the girls don't have a place picked How out. How did anybody connect? What? Everyone is always just wandering around or fat on the couch. I just he took didn't have a living room. He didn't <laughs> right. have a couch. So he uh, he gets it. He tells him. He says it's up to you where you're gonna girl go. The girls have no idea what to do. He said go get the bolt cutters for the phone and wire for the phone wires and fences. And Tex like I don't know. I'm a little I'm a little messed up, Charlie. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Let me just say, all right. Now what's the difference between a house and a tent? One has a door, right? <laughs> and what's the difference between like a normal house and like a gas station? <laughs> what is a gas station? <laughs> Yes, I hate to say this, but you're hovering eight inches off the ground right now. And what I'm gonna need, what I'm gonna need you to do, is to focus. Tex, get out of that tree. Tex. Yeah, and, and Manta, he, he just pretty much tells us, he's like, "Come on, Tex, you've been a lot of these rich guys' places." He's like, "Yeah, just go someplace like where Terry used to live." Right. And this talking is about this talking is, about so, Terry Melcher. So with just an offhand, with an offhanded comment, where he's just like, "Yeah, like fucking, I don't know, Terry's place or something." With an offhand comment right. like that. That is how Sharon Tate and all of her friends were murdered. Terry now, should have is, signed him. Terry should have signed him. That is also the Manson's version of the story. And yeah. the Bugliosi version of the story is that he came in. It was bump, bump, bump. He ordered everybody. He said, tonight's Helter Skelter night. We're going to Terry Melcher's house, and we're going to get revenge for him not producing my record. Mm-hmm. But I do also believe. Oh, that is insane. It's not only insane. It's also easily uh, unproven uh, because Manson went. Manson knew that Terry Melcher didn't live there anymore. He had gone to the house. To go and, look for money like three weeks ago. Yeah, when he was going around trying to look for his money, he went to the house uh, where he thought Terry lived. And right. the uh, the groundskeeper is like, he doesn't fucking, he doesn't live here anymore. Matt's like, give me the address. It's like, I'm not getting, I don't, no, no. I don't know. Of Whatever course. you want. Then, <laughs> then, then he, grab he, human? Absolutely not. I will not do that. He rab- um, then he robbed the groundskeeper and went away with bags and bags of grass. Which was <laughs> very sad. This is also where a lot of the people who break down the, uh, the a lot of people who break down the crimes are ignorant of the entertainment business. Yeah. Because they really think that Terry Melcher just kind of heard it and passed in it and that they were not a part of each other's lives. When actually, when you read about their, their lives together, especially from Dennis Wilson's point of view, he Manson traveled around a lot of musical circles yeah. and actually got relative, like they were listening actively to his music. They thought maybe it was a novelty that they could, they could use, but they don't, people who are not entertainment don't understand is that you'll bounce around for months. This is not a simple revenge story. Right? No, no, that no. They no. want it. They want it to be, they want it to be this, this revenge story, but it's not, it's just, I, I believe that there's something that this is closer to the truth, that it was just like, just, yeah, go ahead, my Terry's house. Yeah.
Yeah. I think they were just looking to have something to do that night. And they were like, well, tonight's murder night. Oh, shit. We better plan that then. I thought it was Taco Tuesday. Man, what it's, day is it? It's Thursday. What so. year is it? So it takes them about 20 minutes to get everything ready, get everyone together. Uh, and so and That is record time. <laughs> yeah, that's False. very quick. Yeah, And uh, Manson said that he thought back to just 12 hours earlier when he had showed up with his new squeeze. All of this happened in the span of 12 hours. Uh, and Where are we at in total time here? A year and a, 16 months? By a year months? and a half, yeah. A, I'd say like 16, 18 months from the time he got out of prison until this point. That's came. the one thing I, it's, it's still difficult to understand yeah. is, how, is just how compact and compressed this entire story is. Yeah, it's yes. amazing. Uh, yeah, and, and he, this is when, you know, and Manson, in his own words, he does admit to having responsibility. I mean, he considers himself responsible for the murders and the fact that he said, I was so much a part of it, I might as well have been in the car with the others, knife and gun in hand. I was the one person who could have prevented that car from leaving Spawn Ranch, but so goes the feeling of power when coupled with hatred. Yeah. And it is kind of fun. Also, it just sounds like a, a young Adolf Hitler's quote as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the the first five victims of the Manson, the official Manson murders, happened uh, at at one zero zero five zero Celial Drive. Yeah, and so you had Patricia Krenwinkel, Big Patty, Linda Kasabian, who had only joined the family the month before. That oh, is wow. a rough time. Yes, that's that, that's the worst time. It's yeah. like joining SNL during the Billy Crystal years. <laughs> Very talented guy. Yeah. Really uh, Susan Atkins, uh, also known as Sadie, and uh, Tex Watson, all on their way. The victims, first of all, Sharon Tate. Sharon do you think Tate. Anyone, do you think anyone farted in the car? That'd probably, kinda, Ben. Kinda uh, funny, they though. smelled like farts permanently. <laughs> yeah. They were eating dumpster vegetables. Right. Yeah. 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 So, the victims, Sharon Tate, first of all. Sharon Tate, she was amazingly famous. She was, uh, I'll put it this way, she was famous enough where my, I was talking to my mom about this last night. My mom was 14 years old when all this happened. Mm. Lived in Jayton, Texas, middle of nowhere in the late 60s. She knew who Sharon Tate was. Right. Like, Sharon, Sharon Tate is also smoking. Oh, yeah. Oh, very good. So she, her debut role. She's uh, dead now. Yeah. She no. died? <laughs> how does how does the story end? Oh, don't tell me Sharon Tate's dead. I love her work. So her first role was in a film called Eye of the Devil, uh, which was a suspense film about a cult that performed ritual human sacrifice to guarantee a lavish grape harvest. Mm. For grapes? Grapes, yeah. Oh, well, it was actually, and it wasn't even for wine. It was for jelly. <laughs> oh, isn't that Concord grape? <laughs> yeah, her second film was a vampire spoof called The Fearless Vampire Killers, a.k.a. Pardon me, but te- your teeth are in my neck. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. That's AKA, funny. A.k.a. The Dance of the Vampires. She's mm. dead now, though, right? <laughs> Did she die? Oh, I hope she has a great... I think she's going to have a great career. Yep. And it's while filming uh, this movie, but uh, by the way, the, the plot is she's kidnapped by a group of vampires and eventually rescued by a bumbling professor and his assistant. Oh, I love <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so it's uh, while filming this movie that she meets her future husband, director Roman Polanski, right. who's best known for Rosemary's Baby, Chinatown, The Pianist, and Pedophilia, pedophilia. later on in his life. That's, yeah, that's the other thing, too. Yeah. And it's like, 
Pedophilia the movie or the sitcom pedophilia starring John Ritter there and uh, I also like Charlie in the Shane. 1970s most actors and directors were like just borderline not criminals. It's yeah. like everybody it was like you had like Robert Blake running around oh, and like oh, yeah. Spectre, all these people that literally just beat the shit and threatened violence on every single person around them. They yeah. all got caught eventually though. Yeah. And Polanski of course was completely shattered by this fucking event. He said that his absence on the night of the murders is the greatest regret of his life. Uh, he oh, wrote, what was he going to do? Uh, die. He wanted yeah, to say die. That if, he, if he wasn't, if he was there, we would not have had the incredible Ninth Gate film with Johnny Depp. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I love everything Johnny does. And de we definitely wouldn't have, wouldn't have had Chinatown, which was in 74. Mm -mm. And yeah. Chinatown that was a, a good, fantastic good movie. Uh, but he said in his autobiography, he said, Sharon's death is the only watershed in my life that really matters. And uh, he commented on her murder. He said it changed his personality from a boundless, untroubled sea of expectations and optimism to one of ingrained pessimism, eternal dissatisfaction with life. Uh, which caused him to have a sexual relationship with a 14-year-old gymnast named Natasha Kinski. And Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. He wrote a hell of a movie and yep. directed it, too. She was 26 years old and eight and a half months pregnant when she was murdered. Sure uh, did. Next up was Wojcik Frykowski. We'll go into uh, what happened there with Sharon Tate. How'd they do it? We'll get into we're going, that. Oh, we're we're going to get, get into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We're not we're just going to list the victims okay. and then move on. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, because, yeah, that's very important stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Frykowski and uh, Folger. Frykowski was one of uh, Polanski's childhood friends. Abigail F Folger was uh, his partner. She was heiress to the Folger fortune. Right. fortune. They, uh... Uh, they, yeah, it was the worst part of waking yeah, yeah. up. You know the whole joke there. Everyone, thought. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were at the house. They were at the house because they uh, house sat for the Polanskis a lot. And Sharon was like, "Why don't you stay an extra couple days?" Oh my. Uh, next one was Jay Sebring. He was a uh, Hollywood hairstylist, uh, very successful. He learned how to cut hair in the Korean War. Uh, he designed the and haircuts. That is very difficult with bombs going off back and forth. You, you have to be really good at cutting hair. Oh, oh totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Henry, uh, uh, what are the odds J.C. Breen, the uh, hairstylist, is straight? It's 100%. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually uh, Sharon Tate's ex-boyfriend oh, okay. uh, and so was zero. madly in love with her uh, until the day, and in fact, died defending her. Uh. This is a super fucking creepy side story. So this was when Jay and Sharon Tate had both, uh, that, this is when they uh, were still together. Uh, he bought a home uh, in Benedict Canyon, uh, and the house... Uh, uh, extremely dark history. Gene Harlow and uh, MGM uh, producers uh, Paul Byrne. Uh, Byrne killed himself in the house. Mm -hmm. uh, and three other people would die in later years. Uh, one committed suicide. Another drowned in a pool. A maid hung herself uh, there. And Sharon says that in 1965, she woke up, was woken up in the middle of the night to see a little man by the bed. Just kind of hanging out, and she's she Charles ran Manson. Yeah. Still just gonna, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she ran out of the room uh, and down the stairs, and tied to the foot of the the staircase, she saw the body of a man with his uh, throat slashed. And then, how did she react? Oh, she fixed a drink herself a drink and went back to bed. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, fu the fuck else are you gonna do? I don't know. Freak out. <laughs> 
and the last victim, uh, or the last one we talk about in the first this one is to just die. This is a bad luck guy. Stephen Parent, such a poor, he's like 17. He knew the caretaker at the uh, Tate house, this guy William Gerritsen. He had come to sell Gerritsen an AM FM radio, a clock radio, because he worked at a fucking electronics. He worked at a stereo store. Uh, so, and Gerritsen, he, and the worst part is, he didn't even sell the clock radio. Gerritsen didn't want it. <laughs> oh, so the last man. thing he did was uh, he, he was a, he died a failure. Oh, that's the worst. It's <laughs> terrible. Very sad. So he had a beer uh, while they you know talked about the clock radio. He left around two fifteen. He stops to push the button that opens the electronic gate. Standing there, Tex Watson got a long-barreled Western-style twenty-two revolver, uh, the same uh, weapon that they'd shot uh, lots of Papa with. And in the other hand, the big fucking buck knife. Right. Watson shoots him four times, point blank in the face, making him the first person to die. Honestly, yes, in that situation, I'm thinking, shoot me. Hmm? The idea of getting stabbed and murdered with a buck knife is much more terrifying than Oof. just getting shot in the head a couple of times. If I had to choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we all had yes. to choose, we'd and all Tex go Tex Watson's now on a full-on death trip. Death yeah. Watson, Tex Watson, we're going to talk, we're going to see now is definitely the fulcrum of all of these murders. Yeah. Um, yeah. He really got into the role. Yeah, he really and did. And was technically very good at it. Yes, he was. Immediately. For total dolt. Yeah. For a person who's like a basically an unreliable piece of shit who could barely think. Yeah. Who was tripping balls the whole time. Yeah, just, oh, man. Yeah. They were all tripping balls. Like, and that's a thing to keep in mind as well, is that at least half of these murder, half of these, half of the four were tripping balls the entire right, time right, this right, was happening. Right. So, so Linda, now these are the murders. Yeah, Linda Kasabian, she uh, drove them to uh drove him to the house she she was the girl that had only been uh she'd only joined the family the month before uh she parks the car and she's only with a valid driver's license and thank god because they didn't want to get pulled over to get a ticket (laughs) exactly they chose her because she was the only member of the family who had a valid driver's license. well you don't want to go breaking the law i mean those laws are real and uh so tex crawls out from the back seat he climbs up the telephone pole uh and he cuts the wires to the house uh, they then drove the car to the bottom of the hill and started to walk up towards the and house. And what's cool is that they're not cool. I mean, cool. I'm disgusting. Yeah. But it's like they literally parked it so they could make a quick getaway. They point. They yeah. parked it like like so it would just be driven off into onto the road. Yeah. Yeah. So they they this is where they find Stephen Parent. They kill him. The and he was just like the car hey out guys, of sight. you guys going to like a party or something? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh dang, bro! You want like a clock radio? You want a clock radio? <laughs> yeah, he should have tried to sell him on it. Maybe it would have worked. So Frykowski, Sebring, Tate, and Folger, they they were all asleep by this point, having stuffed themselves at a restaurant called El Coyote earlier that now, night. Now, and you can go to El Coyote, which is on Beverly Boulevard really? in uh, in Los Angeles, and have gone several times. But every time you go, it's it's kind of a shitty Mexican restaurant, but it has it. But what what they do is there's like a scam there, where it's like people go in all the time, and they're like, hey, can you bring us the meal that Sharon Tate and all of them ate? the night before they all got murdered, like right before they got murdered, and they just bring you the most expensive thing on the menu. (laughs) Ah, that's a very good idea. They probably did eat that. (laughs) Bravo! 
Boy, Texas Pete is a sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some chow. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chow. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs, and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And fast-growing trees 
has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So, uh... Tex finds an open window. He slices open the screen with his buck knife and then goes to the front door and lets Big Patty and Susan in th- through the front door. Uh, Frank House. Butter up the front door. Yeah. You now, what they, what they do through. talk about, too, with, with the, the idea that Sadie had or Manson had, it's one or the other. They talk about doing these crimes as witchy as possible, yeah. which I like that. I like that term a lot because the idea it's. So you're, I remember with all these crimes is that they are trying to inspire fear. Yeah. So this is it gets really creepy really fast. Yeah. Frykowski gets woken up by uh, Tex uh, whispering to the girls, and the first thing he says is, "What time is it?" Tex sticks the barrel of the gun into Frykowski's face. He says, "Be quiet. Don't move, or you're dead." Frykowski asks him, "Who are you, and what are you doing here?" To which Tex replied, "I am the devil." And I am here to do the devil's work. Good line yeah. when you're on acid. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And Susan and uh, Susan Atkins later on, she told Manson after they had gotten back to the house, yeah. she said that he really looked like the devil. But then, like, but but the first thing she said was she's like him standing there and he had that knife on him, he had that gun on him, the rope on him. He'd look like a, a real old Mexican bandolero. Yeah. Like she, did, she also literally did say that. Yeah, that's great. So Tex tells uh, Atkins and Krenwinkel to search the house for other occupants. Uh, they come back with Folgers, Sebring, and Tate. And apparently, so uh, when uh, Atkins walked the upstairs neighbor uh, upstairs floor, she went and she saw what's her name uh, Folger. Folger. She saw Folger in bed and literally the Folger looked up at her and just went, hi. And like, she was like, it's like she expected to see me. And I just waved at her and walked past, which is like this crazy thing. I guess in the sixties, you're just so used to maybe whacked out things happening, but literally this hippie woman just walking past the room and seeing you in bed and just waving at you and then walking past the door. I mean, it's very possible that she just thought, it's like, oh, hey, that's a girl that Jay's fucking right now. I guess, yeah. he, I guess you know, she's coming over to, to hang out with Jay. Right. Uh, which, you know, when you see someone walking by in a house where a lot of people are in and out, it's not the worst. Oh, yeah. It, it's you not the dumbest thing. Yeah, you don't know who these people are. Right. Uh, yeah, she's, like, cute and young, too. So yeah. you're like, she's not here to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, uh, brought them into the living room. Tex ordered them to lie down in front of the fireplace, but Sharon Tate, she was eight and a half months pregnant, so she couldn't. So Sebring says, can you see she's pregnant? Let her sit, uh, let her sit down. And for his outburst, Tex shot him in the stomach. And this is why they, you can't be a hero. Yeah. And this is a, and when they asked what the intruders wanted, uh, Tex said, you have to die to save my brother. And then everybody, of course, goes apeshit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Basically, yeah. as soon as he says that. Because up until this point, he's literally just telling them they, were, they want their money, they want their money, they want the money. Mm-hmm. And so they start going through, trying to take some of their money, and then finally he's just like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he's like, y'all going to have to die. 
tonight, and they just fucking flip out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tex, he ties a rope around the necks of Sebring, Folger, and Tate on the advice of Charlie. Uh, he told him, he said, just make sure the make girls... Make sure the girls do it like Gary's house was done. Maybe even take some rope and hang somebody, like like the reverse of the Ku Klux Klan thing. That way we'll put the heat on the blackies. Yeah, he likes he loves saying blackies. Yeah, yeah. Blackies, yeah, yeah. Is, it's a hard word... It's a hard word to say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he says whitey and he says blackie. Uh, but yeah. he, and the other end of the rope was slung over a rafter. And then Tex ordered Patty to tie up Frykowski with a towel, uh, which seems like a bad idea. Yeah, As, they're not smart. Yeah. He's not, they're not smart. Yeah, and so he walks over to Sebring, who's trying to defend Tate and her unborn child. Tex takes out his buck knife and he stabs Sebring seven times the second murder of the night. And then Tex orders Patty to turn off all the lights in the house, and he took the other end of the rope that was over the rafters, uh, and he pulled and caused the women to stand up to keep from being choked to death. Uh, and so Susan uh, Atkins, she approaches Frykowski with the intent to kill him, but Frykowski, he's going into full-on freak-out mode because now two people are dead. Uh, he struggles free. He pulls Susan's hair as hard as he can, which sends her down. Was it Glow? Gorgeous uh, ladies of wrestling? Pulling of the hair. I mean, I feel like it could be something more aggressive. <laughs> yeah, you'd think so. Right? You'd, you'd think I'll so. pull her hair. That's what I'll do. <laughs> but in the moment, you know, you've got a hippie yeah. girl with a whole head of hair. You think first thing... Pull it. Sure. Yeah. You also, honestly, you, as, a, as a man, I've been trained my whole life to not hit a, a woman. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hit a woman. But I, this, what all this lesson shows me is that if she's got a knife, you could suck her. Uh, Frykowski, <laughs> he, uh, he runs for the door. He's screaming. Uh, and Tex goes after him. He stabs him and he hits him so hard over the head that the with his gun that it broke the grip. Uh, but Frykowski he manages to make it through the door, screaming and yelling. And just down the hill from the house, a group of children from the Westlake School for Girls were camping with five counselors, and they heard Frykowski screaming as Tex caught up with him. Yeah, like they heard this guy dying. So Susan, she runs out of the house, and she joins Tex uh, as they finish the job while uh, the driver, Linda, she stood there just screaming at them, stop, stop, stop this. And uh, Susan just turned to her and said, it's too late, and walked back into the house. Oh, yeah, that's very late. It's it's very late. Yeah, I will say about that little girl that the, the camping trip is that yeah. you know it's kind of amazing they got to experience what it took my uncle a whole four years in Vietnam to experience. <laughs> Just right there. Yeah. yeah so the- I- I couldn't help but think of that movie Troop Beverly Hills. Yeah, <laughs> that was like yeah, that was a hell of a was there. Yeah. So while all this was happening, Big Patty and Abigail Folger, who had also freed herself, they started wrestling. And after being stabbed multiple times, Abigail broke free and ran down the hallway. Krenwinkel followed with an upraised knife, finally tackled her on the lawn just outside of Sharon Tate's bedroom, and Krenwinkel continued to stab her over and over again until Tex came over to help, and she looked up at her killers and uh this is what uh patty remembers her saying yeah i remember her saying i'm already dead just i'm already, she just kept saying it over and over again i'm already dead i'm already dead stop i'm already because she said also apparently like what she was doing too is that she was begging to be like i was a part of her negotiating because um, from manson's own words it, he got this whole story from sadie when they showed back up yeah and so sadie came and told them this whole story and uh, according to her sharon tate was begging to be like you can take me hostage yeah take me hostage just so i can have my baby let me have my baby and you can have me and uh 
You know, by this point, that whole the whole fucking the train had already left the station. Would have yeah. been kind of cool if Sharon Tate could have had her Patty Hearst moment though. Yeah, and just like hung out with the Mansons. Can you imagine while. how happy? Manson would have been. Oh my God! I, I, Sharon Tate show up. I get to like, bite another umbilical cord. <laughs> no, my God. that's all the guy was about. It's been years. Ooh, I love that people jerky. Yeah. <laughs> so Sharon Tate at this point is the only one left alive. Uh, Atkins and Watson they return from the front lawn and she's just saying, "Please let me live. Please let li- let me live." They ignored her and they stabbed her sixteen times. Uh, as uh, Sharon Tate died crying for her mother. Because also, Tex Watson had been given the direct orders, apparently, from Charles Manson to make sure the women had something, that all of the girls were involved in the crimes. Mm -hmm. So basically, once they were even dead, Tex would pass the knife to the girls and be like, now you stab her, you stab her. So they would all be a part of it. So that's why these people had like upwards of 40 stab wounds by the time they found them, is because they were just hacking at dead bodies. Yeah. So, uh, Krenwinkel, she grabs a towel on the way out, you know, to, acting on Matson's orders to leave a sign, something witchy. Uh, she picks up a towel, dabs, dabs it in Sharon Tate's blood, and wrote pig on the front door. And they were going to ban, uh, they were going to hang all of the victims. Uh, they were but tired. they said, quote, everything was too messy and we were tired. Yeah, they got exhausted. It seems it seems like a pretty tiring experience yeah. for all. Yeah, try to. I mean, like, honestly, try to get a bunch of hippies to finish a game of cranium. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean, it takes fucking. They, they, they don't want to do it. It's not happening. So on the way home, forty-five minutes after they arrived, uh, they stopped at a house and they used a hose to spray each other down. The homeowner, hearing them, came out and chased them away with a flashlight while his <laughs> wife was yelling at him, going, "Dirty hippies, you sluts, you trash." And they said they were just out there just playfully watching each other's hands and arms and text like, I'm sorry, sir. We just needed to use your hose. So Sharon Tate could have been alive if she had a flashlight? <laughs> yes. Yes. You, they were you shine them? afraid of flashlights. Right. Interesting. <laughs> so they get back in the car. They throw their bloody clothes, the gun, the knife out the window. They stop at a gas station to wash up a little bit further. Uh, and as uh, Tex Watson, as he looked in the mirror at the gas station bathroom, he said that he was, quote, trying to find out who I was. I wasn't anyone. I wasn't Charles Watson. I was an animal. The end of the world was there. I was Tex the living death. Tex is such a piece of shit. Yeah, he's such a piece. Tex Watson, he was the one. He immediately flipped on everything. He was the only one who tried an insanity defense. Yeah. He was the only one who was like, I didn't know what was going on. I just was having drugs and having sex. And this next thing I the- know, I'm sticking a, a big fork into a woman's throat. All hmm. of these people were a part of the same collective fantasy. This was this was Charles Manson was the fulcrum of it, and he was the inspiration for a lot of it. But all of these they were active participants, and they they made these choices. Yes, they, they, they did. did. They did the crimes. Yeah. You know, like as much as Manson was a part of it, and do, and maybe drugged them, and maybe quote unquote brainwashed them, which I don't even fucking believe because he's kind of a moron. I think that they. This is all this trip. It's just you know because we talk about all the, the trains left the station. Yeah. It had been it had been in the works for months. There's been so much negativity in the crowd um, of them. Yeah, that. And this is what yeah, the, and this is just how, what happens when there is a true unstable criminal mind at the front of all this group think of course all of that all, charlie manson like his the paranoia but also just his general demeanor as a career criminal and it's just a generally fucked up dude is gonna seep into these other people 
it's going right, to. Right. Yeah. All right. So we got these murders. Now they all just go back to the yeah. house. They go back. Yeah. They just go back to the ranch. Charlie's Charlie, Charlie, he's just still squeezing tits and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he's pinching titties. He, he was saying that he couldn't even ball his woman that night. He was so concerned about what he had done, and that he just sat and waited for the sun sun come up until the car pulled into the driveway. Yeah. And, but he said when they got back and they told him about what had happened, he said he wasn't shocked. He said he didn't feel pity or compassion for the victims. The only concerns that he had is if the murders resembled the Hinman killing enough and if uh, the murderers had left any traces of their identities behind. Right. And also, no, none of them fucking... Did, and they also didn't bring back any cash. Yeah. That's what he was, like, mostly pissed They brought back too, less that? than $100 cash oh, and no good. drugs. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. That's what he, that's what he, he was, was thinking. Not even the so placenta. Yeah. Huh? Well, no. they didn't... He didn't... They didn't know who they had killed that night. They didn't know who they had killed until the next day when they were watching news broadcasts. Oh, but that shit. Night, so that night they went out and he went back. So Charles Manson wanted to make sure that they had done everything on the fucking level. Yeah, yeah. He went back. He wiped down the, the crime scene. He left an old pair of glasses on the floor. He's uh, like, this will trick the cops. Yeah. And well, as we'll find out later, it did. Like, <laughs> here's another one. I mean, once we get into the investigation, we're going to get into yet another case of gross incompetence on the part of the LAPD. But we're going to get into that much later. Uh, the next day, uh, they later not that night, like the, uh, the next day, later that night after dinner, seven members of the family dropped acid, hopped in a car and drove around looking for more victims because... They, the police had made no link whatsoever between the Hinman murders and the tape murders. Mm -hmm. So Charlie says, all right, we got to go back out. We got to do it again. Second draft. Let's get it right this time. But this time I'm going to go with you because yeah, I'm sure going to make sure that it right. does right. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to make sure you do it right. And so like they're driving around, but according to Manson's own words, he's just sitting there like, cause you know, Again, he's always he's always trying to explain himself as he goes, and he was like literally just being like, "I just want to make sure we do this right and fast and cool and awesome." Yeah. But, but at the same time, but he's full of shit because he he's not a murderer. No, like he himself is not a murderer. He's done every other crime under the sun, but he's never killed before. So a way to kind of like well, think he thinks he's a murderer at this point, doesn't he? He thinks he can do it. Yeah, he's he he's going he out to get well, his then, own, as he says, to get his own to get his hands dirty. Yeah, but I thought the uh, the uh, the guy that he thought was a part of the Black Panthers. He thought that he killed him. But that was it. We'll get into that yeah, right. here in a little bit. We'll get into like his mindset as far as that went. Uh, they ended, ended up after about two hours, they ended up in uh, Los Feliz. Uh, which Ooh, is a hipster. Yeah, yeah, it's a hipster. Los Feliz? Yeah, Los Feliz. Yeah, Los Feliz. Yeah, hipster mm. neighborhood nowadays. Uh, so they pulled up uh, to the house and they, the girls asked Charlie if this was the house and they said, no, nah, I'm thinking about the house across the street because they had just wandered into this neighborhood because they knew a guy that had that lived across the street from the LaBiancas, the victims in the second murder. Uh, yeah. And so Charlie, he took Tex up to the house. He found 45-year-old grocery store tycoon Lino LaBianca asleep with a newspaper in his lap. Uh, they entered through the back door. They woke him up. They told him, we're not going to hurt you. Be cool. All we want is your money. And, and so they, he tried to give them money. He gave them like 70 bucks that he had in his wallet. And then he was like, also, if you take me to my store, I can give you all my money. I can give you a shit ton of money. And yeah. they were like, you know. Yeah. And But they were also, they had learned the lessons from the night before. Like, don't tell them you're going to kill them. Yeah, you tell right. them you're going to kill them, 
they're going to freak they're out. They're going to freak out. Tell and them you're there the for the free sirloin. <laughs> <laughs> so they tied Leno's hands behind his back with a strip of leather, uh, asked him if anyone else was in the room, and he said, uh, Rosemary, yeah, she's back. She's asleep in the bedroom. So Manson goes back to the room. He pulls the cover off or covers off of her, and he says, wake up, lady. You got company. And so he moves her to the living room with Leno, and he ties her up as well. And Charlie, when he left the ranch, he was fucking geared up, man. He's like, I'm going to get my hands Let's dirty. We're, I'm getting gonna, crazy. We're, we're getting yeah. crazy. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to plunge a knife into a woman tonight, and I'm going to fucking kill somebody. Sure. Uh, but when he got there, he was faced with two people that were just sitting there passively in front of him. No aggression. They weren't trying to struggle free. Yeah, so he's and like, so I need this. He's I like, need them to, like, freak out so that I can go kill them. Yeah, like, right. I need them to do something so I can respond. Yeah, he's like, I need the survival instinct to kick in, which was what happened with Crow, with the drug dealer. Uh, so he even goes as far as, like, he tells Tex, he's like, Tex, take Take the guy, take the woman to the other room. Take her over there. And Charlie purposely turns his back on Leno LaBianca. LaBianca hoping that he would like, yeah. attack him. Hoping that he's going to fucking come in right. and, uh, you know, and Charlie can t- switch on and he can kill the guy and he can be a part of it too. But he couldn't do it. Le- Charlie's, Leno- Charlie's too busy thinking about slashing prices. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Charlie, he leaves the house. He walks back to the car. He tells Big Patty and Leslie Van Houten, who is a new one. Because he can't do it. Cause it yeah, he, he can't do end, it. He like, just can't do it. He's just like, I'm, he's not a murderer. And this one thing about Manson is on words that I do appreciate is that it does, sh- I mean, honestly, it makes him out to be a huge pussy. And he even says that. I mean, I hate to use the word, use a term pussy, but it's like. You he, hate to use the term pussy? No, I mean, like, like uh, he, it's not that he didn't have, he just, I mean, honestly, he just didn't have the guts to kill somebody. Yeah. yeah. And so he. Not Went to say that it like put takes it on the girls. guts to kill someone, but you either have murder in your heart or you don't. And right. Charles Manson didn't have it, so he goes back to the uh, he goes back to the car where he finds uh, Leslie Van Houten and Big Patty, and he says, "Go in, do it good, make sure it's done, so the pigs will put it together with him and that pad last night. We're gonna go find another house, and when you finish up, hitch back to the ranch, and we'll see you there." Because there were seven people on this trip. So he sends two of them in with Tex and takes the other three, and he's asking him, all right, who do you hate? Where are we going to go? And this one guy's like, well, there's this guy out in Venice Beach that I don't like very much. So- yeah, and then one of the girls in the other one was just like, and there's this guy that, like, wouldn't make it with me once. Let's go get him. <laughs> yeah. So they go out to Venice Beach. It's like, I hate to say it, Big Patty, but you, you're an acquired taste. No, I love you. I love you. <laughs> so he goes out to Venice Beach, and uh, he he's come down from the acid because he was on acid this entire time. Of course, yeah, they to all pump were. Himself up. Yeah, to pump himself up. That sheen is worn off. He doesn't feel invincible anymore. So he sends the other three into the apart or out into the apartment complex, and then he says, eh, "You know what? I'm going to go home." So yeah, he just leaves And then he leaves goes him. to like a Del Taco yeah. and he gets a bunch of chicken tacos. He just pays for the wedding. He's just like, and then, you know, I checked out Rosemary's baby. And I was like, ah, I can't believe we killed that. And she's like, <laughs> I can't believe this is amazing. Like, oh, you know, I'm, oh, man, you know what I need right now? Some saltwater taffy. Where can I get that? <laughs> So back at the La Bianca house, and these murders are, I mean, the Tate murders really get a lot, all of the press, but the La Bianca murders are 
a little bit more brutal. Yeah, uh, brutal. yeah they're pretty brutal. So Susan Atkins and Leslie Van Houten, they've joined Texan side and they've focused their attention on Rosemary. Uh, and they had taken her, who had been taken into the bedroom. They heard screams from the living room as Tex stabbed Leno, uh, ended it with a cut to the throat. And Rosemary, who was given a rush of adrenaline by the screams of her husband, she attacked Leslie with a big ass table lamp. And during yeah. the struggle, Leslie just kept saying, Please be still, please be still. Uh, and so Patty, she comes back from the kitchen with knives, uh, and she helps Leslie in the fight against La Bianca. Patty draws first blood, stabbing Rosemary in the back, which severed her spine. And Leslie later said at first she didn't want to do it. She didn't want to stab her. She said the more that she did it, the more fun it was. She said, quote, I was obsessed with the knife. Once it went in, yeah. it just kept going in and in and she in. She was also tripping balls. Yeah. She you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I remember watching Amelie four times in a row. You know, I was also waiting. <laughs> into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the end of it, Rosemary had been stabbed 41 times. Hmm. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. That's a lot of And so then but then they learned basically Charlie gave them a whole lesson like basically you got to wipe stuff down for fingerprints so they clean the they clean the whole place and then they they went as far to open all the drawers and wipe down the things they hadn't even touched because they're morons so they yeah. probably yeah, yeah, put yeah. prints on them. Patty came and led them back out to the living room. Uh, she saw what Tex had done to Leno. He had been stabbed 14 times. A double-pronged carving fork was stuck into his fucking stomach, and a knife had been left plunged into his neck. And on his forehead, Tex had carved the word war, which is intense. <laughs> yeah. And, on, more, and, on the, uh, and on the walls, Patty had written death to pigs and rise, and on the fridge, she had written... Hilter skill, uh, Skelter misspelled the fucking name of yeah. the supposed on, inspiration. Hilter Skelter. And apparently, Helter Skelter, the words Helter Skelter were written all over the ranch. It was everywhere. Right. And yet, she still misspelled it. Come on. Just write it on your hand. <laughs> it's just easier on, to. Just it, yeah. Stay focused. She made it more difficult than it had to be. <laughs> much, know? much more. Come on. Much more. So the three took showers in the house and they hitchhiked <laughs> home. Uh, just, and they also if she got that a as a spelling bee, like that would be great. Helter Skelter. Uh, can you use it in a sentence? You've just murdered a family. And you want to write on the refrigerator. H E. A no! Oh damn it! Charles Vance has been there. He has a big like sign in the back, like "Go Patty," you know. It's just like, God damn it, Patty! How many how many drills do we have to run? How many note cards do we have to go through? Oh man! So they hitchhike home. Charlie's waiting there for him. And uh, over the next week, you know, just uh, Los Angeles is going fucking insane. Uh, and Charlie said, the more the media sensational sensationalized the crimes, the wire, the grin got on my face. But still, after both murders, no connection whatsoever had been made between the Hinman murder and these two murders. And not only that, but this is absolutely fucking baffling. The cops made no connection between the Tate murders and the La Bianca murders. Well, wasn't there a thing where they thought it was a copycat killer? I mean, no, I, they just they so, didn't investigate serial crimes. Yeah, this was before the idea of the serial killer. Still, yeah, they so were. They had no. They they, they didn't yeah. realize that someone would do something like this. I yeah. think that they thought it was a. They in the papers the next day they said it was a copycat killer with the. You know, after the uh, Lebianki murders. Well, the Tate murders, they originally thought that there was some sort of drug. They were yeah. looking for the drug connection. That was right, the yeah, whole right, thing. Right. This is this has to be all about drugs. Uh, but with the Lebianki one, they they just didn't. You know, they had no yeah. idea. And like and, and like Henry said, 
You know, what's also interesting about the murders too is how it affected the Manson family, but how then it divided the group up between those that had committed murders and those who hadn't, and those who had committed murders were just sitting around the radio listening to the reports over and over again and just like whispering amongst each other. When you got Stephanie hanging around just being like, so when are we gonna have a barbecue? <laughs> right. Are we gonna like sing some songs or something? Charlie, you said that I was gonna be a recording superstar. Yeah, and that was, t- and there were twenty-five others just like her. You know, the 25 others that had no idea that these yeah, just m- that they had time. perpetrated right. these murders. Because Squeaky didn't even. Squeaky, the most notorious of all of them, is just also just still just sitting around, just like waiting, like trimming her bush and just wondering <laughs> when, when the next ball session's gonna be. <laughs> so Charlie, like, he had he had no idea what to say. I, I love this quote from Charles Manson. Hey, don't feel like you're being left out of anything. All those girls are whispering about it has nothing to do with you. It's just that. Eight people are dead, and the rest of you aren't supposed to know about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. So finally, the long-delayed move to the desert was underway. Yeah, of course, now they're going to go to the desert. Yeah, now they're going to the desert. Yeah, now they're finally going to the desert. Uh, And, uh, yeah, and Charlie said, except for time out for music and sex, we worked at getting ready for the final move. Why did you take any time out? You just (laughs) killed eight people. Just get to the fucking desert. He's so stupid. Yeah, So, but before that could happen... uh, Police raided the ranch for an entirely different mur- uh, for an entirely different reason. They raided them for stealing VWs and turning them into dune buggies. Absolutely, <laughs> they're, starting, they're literally just starting to like. They're, they're like, look at this group of people just living on this fucking like plot of land. We should find a way to arrest them. Yeah. Like, what are these? Let's let's arrest these. Yeah. Uh, but the thing was that the charges were actually dropped two days later because the cops had written the wrong date on the search warrant. Ah, all right. Well. And it's no traffic violations, so that's good for uh, Charles. No one, really, no one gives him enough credit for that. Well, Kasabian had an impact, no points on her license. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but some, you know, it was very clear to Charlie that the cops, the cops knew the layout. They knew all the secret hiding places that they had. They knew all the escape plans that they had. So Charlie knew that someone had snitched. And because he was utterly convinced that nobody in the family could have been involved, he decided that it had to have been one of the people who worked on Spawn Ranch. So he eventually settled on a stuntman named Donald Shorty Shea, who took care of the horses. Mm. Uh, Shea and Manson, of course, they hated the fuck out of each other because it's Manson. Manson versus a cowboy. And I don't yeah, th- and he, like, Manson's a fake cowboy, and Shea is also a fake cowboy, but taller. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and George was actually on the verge of selling Spawn Ranch because he was old and blind. Uh, and Shea, of course, thought, you know, it's the best in the best interest of everyone to get these fuckers out of here. Uh, so... Charlie, around August 28th, 1969, about 20 days after the murders, uh, Tex, Bruce Davis, Steve Grogan, Bill Vance, Larry Bailey, and Charles Manson, they all took Donald Shea out for a ride. And from the backseat, Grogan struck Shea with a pipe wrench while Tex Watson started stabbing him. Then the group took Shorty out of the car, uh, brought him down a hill behind Spawns, and stabbed him to death. And now, and again, and this is one of the murders that Charles Manson was actually like a, a convicted of. They yeah. said that he killed him. And again, Charles Manson vehemently denies yeah. that he actually killed him. He, again, he just said, I was there. I didn't break any rules. Is it a, is it against the law to stand on a tract of land in your moccasins? And I did nothing. <laughs> so his body, Shay's body wasn't found until December of 77. 
and Grogan, he actually drew a map for police to Shorty's remains because there was a rumor going around that they cut him into nine different pieces. Oh, wow. That's uh, a lot of pieces. Nine. Yeah. Nine. <laughs> so Manson and Manson, he said that he can't clear up any details about it without being a snitch himself. But he said that Bugliosi, he said, caught up in his own helter skelter hysteria, overlooked many participants, accessories, and conspirators. Someplace out there in that society, he protects so well. He has left several killers to prowl the streets. Right, right, right. So Manson said that whoever murdered him, still out there. Uh, so after they got arrested, Charlie said, you know, it was not hard at all to convince people to get the fuck out of there and go to the desert. Uh, he got, I mean, the paranoia got even higher. He got right. strict. He pushed the family into just being combat ready at all times. He pushed for, quote, vigilance, secrecy, mobility, and contempt for anyone outside. And, and, he, uh, and, he, and honestly, Manson says that he felt a lot of guilt about this whole time period, about basically, it, it, it's what he said, it's, he's always been searching for a home and for a family and for a sense of peace, and now the whole thing's gone wacky-woo on him, and he doesn't know, like, he just doesn't know how to stop it. Yeah. He doesn't know how to stop it. The whole thing's been cycling out of his control for a long time, and... You know, he's a fucking moron. He's just no good at it. He's yeah. no good at being a cult leader. All these cult leaders, they yeah. don't realize how much work it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. It never lasts. Right. So the And the sex, by the way, he said that it moved from free-flowing pleasure into aggressive lust. The music stopped altogether. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, and as the weeks in the desert passed, a lot of the family just kind of drifted away. Uh, and they only moved around at night. And the locals, they noticed them. They noticed these fucking weird-ass hippies just skulking around all night long. No, this thing yeah. has been waiting to get busted for so long. Oh, they so have, long. I can't even believe that they've lasted for as long as they have yeah. up until this point. Because they're just a menace. They're just out all night. <laughs> smoking, smoking weed, doing drugs, probably screaming and laughing and playing music, and they just got, like, surrounded by neighbors. Yeah. And so the cops uh, raided Baker Ranch. They finally figured it out. Raided Baker Ranch for auto theft and possession of firearms. Uh, but Charlie was away. Uh, and Again. Again, he was away. But the second raid that they did uh, would be the last day Charlie Manson would breathe air as a free man. When the cops busted in on October 12, 1969, two months after the murders, they found Charles Manson curled up in a small cabinet beneath the sink. <laughs> in his haste to hide, a few, of his, uh, a few strands of his hair uh, made their way outside of the drawer, <laughs> which an officer noticed. And later, the arresting <laughs> officer said that if it wasn't for the hair, he wouldn't have ever looked in the cabinet because he said it looked too small to hide in. <laughs> he's like Terry the Gnome. He's like, he just like, yeah, yeah, I got his head hide this acorn. It's oh, shit. Oh, I forgot. This is my fucking toilet acorn. Oh, shit. Fuck. Oh, poor Charlie. Wild hair did him in. He mm -hmm. also had a very special glue. It was a getaway spaghetti pot that he could also crawl into. <laughs> so small, so small and cute. Yeah, tiny, adorable Charles Manson. This is a much heavier episode than the other two episodes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, the other two episodes was a lot of like free love and shit. But yeah, this is when, much like the Manson family, this is when shit turns dark. Right. Right. So, uh, so we got arrested because his hair was poking yeah, out there. His hair was his hair was poking out. Uh, and how the LAPD 
finally put everything together uh, was they had, for months, they had no leads. No leads whatsoever. They had no idea what was happening. Uh, But when the Manson family had been arrested in that raid earlier that month, they were so fucking overjoyed that they were being arrested for auto theft instead of murder that they all started singing. Naturally, they started singing what they were listening to most at that time, which was songs from, from the, the White, White Album. Album. And ah. Which is also just, it's still ridiculous. And then the same, so when they, when they showed up, because they didn't realize that Helter Skelter was literally written all over the entire fucking camp yeah. that they were living in. It's so, it's so ridiculous. So what happened here? So they were sitting in jail. They think they're there for a traffic. They, they're being told that they're, they're finally for a traffic, traffic violation. So they're fine. So the, the LaBianca team searched police records and came across the Hinman murder, right? Yeah. Because they, they figured out, like, someone had mentioned it at some point. Yeah. And so what they did is they cross it. They saw – someone finally saw the similarities. At the very least saw that there was a gruesome murder in which somebody had written a message in blood on the walls. So they think, okay, we've got nothing else. Let's look into this. Uh, and they also were looking at the helter-skelter angle of it because uh, this is the La Bianca team. So they start cross-referencing people that had been arrested in that raid with a list of people who had been questioned in the Hinman murder. They One of the people they questioned It's like, was, okay, this guy is guilty for stealing a bunch of licorice from a candy store. Or this guy is arrested for being too groovy at a stoplight. I think we got our our chain of events here. (laughs) (laughs) So they finally, the name they finally came up with was actually Bobby Boussier's girlfriend, Kitty Lutzinger. Uh, And so Lutzinger, she knew nothing about the actual murders themselves, but through what she talked about, they followed up leads that led him to biker gangs who Manson had tried to hire as bodyguards, and Manson had alluded to the murders several times uh, when they talked to the biker gang. At least they didn't actually, he didn't actually say, listen, we killed a bunch of people and we think the Black Panthers are going to come down on us, uh, so we're going to need to hire you. Uh, He didn't say, but he alluded to it enough where they got a hook in him. Charles Manson's problem, which we're going to see later on too, is, is the fact that he wants to be appear to be this hardened criminal. Yeah. He wants to appear to be this fucking evil kingpin. So of course he's going to throw around all this evil shit around a bunch of these bikers because he wants them to respect him. Because again, you've got this fucking gnome dude trying to like d- d- get your confidence and be his bodyguard. You're going to want to brag a little bit. Yeah. And so on, uh, but what really did them in more than anything was Susan Atkins, Sadie, always known to have a big mouth. She started bragging to her cellmate that she was a part of the Tate and LaBianca murders. And that's when everything just came tumbling down. So on December 1st, arrest warrants were issued for Tex Watson, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Linda Kasabian. All three were quickly picked up. Uh, Physical evidence started rolling in. Uh, Fingerprints were found uh, at the Tate residence because, amazingly enough, Charlie had, you know, missed a couple when he went back to the cleanup. I don't know how. He's such a thorough guy. And they also took all, when they left the scene of the crime, they literally took off all the bloody clothes and the knife and just threw it out in a field. Yeah. And they found found all of it. Yeah, that got found real quick. Uh, and the uh, Texas revolver that was found by a ten-year-old kid, uh, and so Sandra, 
Working through her attorney, she sold a story called Two Nights of Murder on December 14th, 1969 for the Los Angeles Times. And you're going to see a lot of this now where all of these people are quickly separating themselves from the crimes as fast as humanly possible. Yeah. And so she said, and then I love Charlie's, Charlie's response to this. He's like, this girl who had perhaps taken more drugs, created more scenes, inflicted more stab wounds, possessed the most perverted fucking imagination, and desired more attention than anyone among our circle, told a story that projected me as love itself, magic music maker, a devil, a guru, Jesus, and a man who ordered her and others to kill. Shit. If there was any truth to what I was said of being capable of, I'd have been sitting in Hearst Castle with stereos in every room listening to my own platinum albums. Which is a fucking great point. He was not that charming. He was a little maniac and a piece of shit. So by the time Charlie hit the courtroom on the first day in June 15th, 1970, the whole myth of Charles Manson, the monster, the mastermind, the man who took everyone's young, the man who could take your young child and, you know, turn her into a murderer, that was established. Everyone knew that Charles Manson was a monster. And that was the genius part of these defense attorneys. It was lawyers and publicists who, like, figured out how to spin this whole fucking story. He's Charles Manson, again, is not innocent, but no. he's he's not the devil himself. No. So the prosecution's main witness was Linda Kasabian, uh, who flipped immediately on everyone because, of course, she did. She was only there for less than a month, uh, and she was just the driver. So she flipped because she got immunity. Uh, from the prosecution. Uh, so she was the star witness against everyone in this. Uh, and Manson, Atkins, and Krenwinkel, they'd all been charged with seven counts of murder and one of conspiracy. Uh, Manson was, and God, I wish I they would have let him do this. Oh, they originally allowed him to act on his own defense, but due to a submission of, quote, <laughs> outlandish and nonsensical pretrial motions, oh, <laughs> the sad. permission was withdrawn before the trial started. And denied. I imagine him showing up in one of those, like, English barrister costumes and being like, all right, so I got my lawyer wig. <laughs> Next thing I need is, all right, I need about five or six tubs of beer. I, do, I need literally bathtubs filled with beer. And then the next thing what I'm gonna, what I'm definitely gonna need is a rock to sit on because I've kind of not been sitting on chairs for a while now. <laughs> so if you could just get me like a sharp rock that I could put my little bony butt on, that'd be great. <laughs> So denied his right to represent himself, Manson showed up the first day of trial with an X on his forehead to represent uh, that he was, quote, considered inadequate and incompetent to speak or defend for himself and had X'd himself out of the establishment's world. Oh, he's not inadequate. He could do it. He really he could, could have, have done it. If they would have given him the chance. Would have been, uh, he would have been uh, better than Bundy, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely more. I mean, he probably wouldn't have worn a Seattle supersonic sweater yeah. at any point during his uh, trial. Well, tell the, tell it, the jury they're beacons of light. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if he had known what the Seattle supersonics were, right. he would have had the jersey on just because he's just like, what is basketball? <laughs> So by the second day of the trial, uh, all of the other defendants all had an identical ex, along with all of the family member protesters that were outside. Because remember, 
only four of the Manson family uh, had been arrested. So there's still plenty of other girls uh, and dudes out there still preaching Manson's word, but there were three, and really in particular two, Sandra Good and uh, Squeaky Frome, that really stood by him and really took it upon themselves to spread Charlie's words. Because and Squeaky, Char- Squeaky was uh, fucking supportive of Charlie ten years after. Oh, Because God. she had nothing to do with the murders. Yeah. This is what we talked about before. All the ones that didn't go to jail or weren't a part of the original murder scenes, they, they still love the whole fucking free love thing. They yeah. loved what they were doing. Oh, yeah, because Charlie, he, uh, you know, they, he, that whole trip as far as protesting and all that, uh, they started that because of a bad jailhouse visit with Charlie uh, because he was pissed off at him because Squeaky was Squeaky and Sandra were the ones that convinced him to stay that morning. Uh, the ones that said, don't go, Charlie, don't go. Like, we need you here. We are one. Because Squeaky was a true blue fucking believer in all of Charlie's peace and love bullshit. Yes. Like, she was the true blue blue uh, believer. Uh, so they responded to him blaming them for that. He said, They said, well, tell the whole world about your good, your love. We'll make them see that you're not responsible. So that is when the spectacle of the Manson girls uh, began. And this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is a uh, clip from Squeaky From. Uh, asking about how just pretty much how people are treating them uh outside she was asked how all the publicity affected her a lot of pushing a lot of pushing for (laughs) something that people want you know and we got it you know (laughs) but um they can't grab at it you know they just have to be patient and give and and it's it's in everybody (laughs) (laughs) It's in everybody. Kind of, yeah. God, she must have been fun at a party, though. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, she must have been like a fun, like, you kind of get trapped for a little bit, and you're just like, God, you're cute. (laughs) This is great. Yeah. So uh, they, but the people on the outside, they were also trying their hardest to intimidate former family members from testifying. Uh, Both prosecution witnesses, Paul Watkins and uh, Juan Flynn, who was a ranch hand, they were both threatened. And Watkins was actually badly burned by a fire in his van. Uh, And formerly, former family member Barbara Hoyt, who had overheard Susan Atkins describing the tape murders to Ruth Ann Morehouse, uh, agreed to accompany Ruth Ann to Hawaii. It's just so strange of all places. Why would you go on a vacation with each other? Like, why? (laughs) Why go now? It's the same Manson thing. I'm like, why are we going on vacation right now? (laughs) So what they did when they got to Hawaii is they took a hamburger that Hoyt was eating and spiked it with LSD. And, of course, they gave her way too much acid. Uh, and uh, a whole hamburger's worth. Oh, a hamburger's, wow. a hamburger's That's my favorite worth amount of LSD is the hamburger's worth. <laughs> it also sort of reminds me of the scene from Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, they put the, they put the, the hit, hot sauce. The on the, on the How'd they know I have gas? <laughs> I mean, but she wasn't actually. She wasn't uh, intimidated into it, and she before she was a reluctant witness. But after they gave her the the acid burger, uh, she completely. She's like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, I'm putting these fucking people away. Uh, And it's also rumored that the Manson family killed Leslie Van Houten's lawyer, but his death was eventually ruled accidental, uh, that he drowned in a flash flood. But there are some people who very much maintain that he was killed for not following uh, 
Leslie's instructions, which of course also, but I mean, some people say that the instructions came from Manson. Manson said that the instructions didn't come from him. From him, yeah, of course. But uh, on October 5th, uh, Manson was denied the court's permission to question a prosecution witness. Uh, because so he kept he kept saying, like, I must ask the hard questions. Who is your favorite rubber human being? Is it Jim Carrey or is it Gumby? <laughs> yeah. I will ask Gumby. the good questions. What's your favorite burger? Is it In-N-Out or is it Fat Burger? Come on. <laughs> the jury needs to know. So Manson, he uh, gets pissed off, and it's said that he left over the defense table, but I would yeah. imagine it was more of a skitter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah more like a jumping spider. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the judge, on the other hand, uh, he was scared enough where he had a revolver under his robes at all times. Uh, because as And it was also creepy. As Charlie was being wrestled to the ground, all of the girls stood up and started chanting in Latin, which is... What were they chanting? Uh, Domini est Was it Latin? I mean, I don't know. Angelus Domini. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) So uh, on November 16th, the prosecution rested. uh, And three days later, strangely enough, the defense rested as well. They called no witnesses uh, to the stand whatsoever. And uh, the defense lawyers say that was because they didn't want the girls to go on the the stand to try to remove all the blame from Charles. Because by this point, uh, Susan Atkins had switched back to Charles Manson's side. She had started off denouncing... What a group. What a mess. What a group of fucking total messes constantly. Oh, what a gigantic mess. Uh, And uh, while the Hinman copycat defense, it was tried, it didn't work, and on January 25th, 1971... Guilty verdicts were, were returned against the four defendants on each of the 27 separate counts. Watson, who was tried separately, was found guilty as well. And so Charles Tex Watson, Patricia Big Patty Krenwinkel, Susan Sexy Sadie Atkins, Leslie Morningflower Van Houten, and Charles Pussy Wizard Manson hmm. were all <laughs> sentenced to death. Uh, but less than a year later, all the sentences were reduced to life in prison after the death penalty was abolished in California. And all of them except for, uh, I believe, Susan Atkins are still alive to this day. And now we have the best version of Manson, which is in-jail Manson. Oh, J- Manson, Manson in jail is like Richard Pryor live. It's like fucking George <laughs> Carlin. Like, why? Like how'd I get here? The Jersey special. He is he is so awesome in jail. And the reason why is, too, is when you watch him and you see all these crazy fucking speeches he gives and he's always nuts and dancing around, is that he's having fun, number one. Number two... He finally has fulfilled his literally his childhood dream yeah. of being the king of jail. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like what he's always wanted. Yeah. Now he's the scariest dude in jail. He's got the biggest rep. He could do whatever. He's totally comfortable. He's got people taking care of him. He's got health care. He's got a fucking a toilet. He didn't have a toilet on the Spawn Ranch for two years. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and we're sitting here, we're making fun of Charlie. You know, we we made a lot of jokes about Charlie. But yeah, so like, what do you think Charlie would say about all this? Yeah. Like, what do you think? And yeah, let, let's hear what Charlie has to say. What he probably is probably what he had to say about it. And here's another thing I'd like to flash on you guys. All you Johnny Carsons and all you comedians who get up there and tell jokes about Charlie Manson, what would you do if I was in the same room with you? Would you tell jokes about me then? I'd like to go on the Johnny Carson show. Say, I'm, you know, you know what this beard covers up, Johnny? You know what this beard covers? A hard 
<laughs> That's a no, solid punchline, Charles. No, he's amazing. I can tell you what I'd do. I'd fucking scoop him up in my arms and I'd give him a little kiss. I would pet his head and I would pet his tiny beard. I agree. And here's what Charles had to say. This is when someone asked him, uh, are you Jesus? Are you God? What do you think about God? Well, God, I guess you're my best friend being I invented you. Because he invented him? Sure. I believe myself. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> Which one? Are you Jesus Christ? Which, which Jesus? There's all kinds of Jesuses. There's a black Jesus down in Florida. He's having a good time. There's a Mexican Jesus in Mexico. I mean, there's all kinds of Jewish Jesus. I mean, Jesus, you know. There's all kinds of Jesus coming back everywhere. And nothing can stop it. It's a consciousness that lives in your mind. Da, 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 you know. <laughs> the more I listen to him, the more I make he makes fucking sense. He talks about yes. even several speeches about how he's like, I don't live in this physical world. I live in the spiritual world. He's he's a very complex. I mean, of course, it's is a very complex story. Yes. Uh, it's a long story. We got to we got to the end of it. Yeah, yeah, we got. Manson, is safely behind bars, I guess. Yeah, yeah. himself. He's protected. Yeah, he's married. He's jail. getting married. Yeah, I think yeah. As far as we know, Star. As far as we know, him and Star are still getting married. Yeah, yeah. His good old twenty-five-year-old uh, uh, cute girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, and and also I'd like to say. So another thing too is for everybody, check out the documentary called The Source on Netflix to watch what happens of an an actual successful cult founded by a guy named Jim Baker who changed his name to Father Yod, and imagine. <laughs> Yeah. Imagine the Manson family, if they had literally millions of dollars, some of the most smoking hot men and women living in a mansion together. They produced 60 albums under the name Yahweh 13, this, uh, this fucking killer psychedelic band that they did. Yeah. Um, take a look at it. Jim Baker, six foot four, beautiful dude, huge dude, jujitsu master, named the world's strongest boy. When he was 12 years old. Wow, literally. Not, not even a joke. Well, um, well, that's amazing, man. What a three-parter it was. Yeah, oh, yeah. Lord. Was that actually, this uh, concludes our probably our longest episode ever. Yep. Ever. Um, so hopefully, I'm, I'm hope you've you've taken your shoes off at this point, and hopefully you got your shirt off. I'm I'm I mean I am. Yeah. Yeah. Almost totally nude. Yes, you are. You have not been wearing a shirt this entire time. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, well, all right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I'll, I'll do a hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Again. Will you please hail me before you go? I mean, who's about yours? Oh, us or the... No, the, I'm just saying. Oh. Just, just saying in general. Please yeah, hail me. Because I hail and, me. Uh, a, make constellations. Oh, and uh, don't forget to go to uh, podsurvey.com. Uh, slash last L-A-S-T uh, We're still getting the surveys in uh, So if you didn't do it last week Be sure to do it this week uh, And we're going to go out on Oh and be sure to go to iTunes Rate and review all that type of stuff Please uh, do and uh, yeah, find us on Twitter Yeah 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 Marcus Parks, Ben Kissel, Henry Loves You uh, And uh, go buy a Last Podcast on the Left t-shirt Cavecomedyradio.com uh, Slash Last Podcast on the Left and just one more thing before we go, if you are having thoughts about hurting yourself or somebody else, please tell somebody in your immediate vicinity as soon as you possibly can. Tell your family, tell your therapist, somebody who can help you in a very real-world way. Please tell them as soon as you possibly can. If I cannot stress this enough, if you are thinking of hurting yourself or somebody else, 
please tell somebody before you do something that you cannot take back. Uh, but we're going to go out on some of Charlie's music. We're going to go out. Played from a tape. Yeah, playing from a tape. This is a song called Eyes of a Dreamer. Mango <laughs> Celestians, everyone. You love this. You I love, love it so much. Listen to it twice today. Or the whole album. Smile on your face. It's like a boy. <laughs> Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod.